I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Michael Moskovitz, a visionary technology leader and the CEO of North Star Gaming, one of Canada's newest online casino and sports books. Ontario has recently undergone dramatic changes to its gambling regulations. And just this week, Michael's team launched North Star Bets, a made in Ontario custom platform that features a comprehensive sports book and online casino. Michael's 30-year career has seen him in leadership positions across a wide variety of consumer, technology, and subscription-based companies, including some brands that you may have heard of, including Panasonic, XM Satellite Radio, Palm Computing, 3Com, and Sony. Welcome, Michael, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Oh, hey, Andrew, good to... Good to hear from you. Good to see you. Um, where am I? I am in my office uh, at Forty University, downtown Toronto, uh, and doing great. Um, you know, we just uh, doing great. We just we're in the midst of launching a business, so there's lots of of interesting and crazy things going on in our world, uh, but doing really well. Thanks for asking. And are you uh, being at the office? Have you been there for a while? Are you down there every day? What's the vibe in terms of returning to offices in downtown Toronto? You know, it's interesting that you said that. So we're, you know, we're, we're, we're standing up uh, a new business. And so when we first started, we, we had nothing. Um, this is, you know, many months ago. So everybody was working out of their, their home and, you know, COVID. And then we, uh, we rented some shared office space uh on uh in downtown it was a kind of cool brick and bean kind of environment was shared and then we quickly grew out of that and we're we're now in a new location um so kind of as you as you grow and expand change you got to look for new new facilities uh but you know just just on that point it's interesting because you know getting people back to the office and out of their you know traditional comfort zone and collaborating is uh, is is a little more difficult than I think I would have thought. Now yeah. it's also interesting too because if you think about our our the existing business, you know we started this during COVID, so everybody was virtual. It's a completely digital business in, in many ways. Um, so it wasn't like it wasn't similar to other businesses where it's traditional, let's say more traditional, and you were in the office, you had an infrastructure, and then you pivoted to home and then you, and then now the employer is calling you back or partial or hybrid or whatever you want, whatever they've decided, but it's not like they were there before. And then they're coming back to some sort of normality. It was very different than that because we started in COVID and it was digital and virtual. And now we're, we're trying to build, you know, a culture that is, that is back together again. And, um, and it's actually, it's working really well. I mean, you know, we've got, all of our content folks in here now and they're they've got their their meeting on kind of the updated you know content schedule and we've got our biz dev team so it, it's coming but it, it's interesting you've got to you've got to weed people employees back and and they've got to feel comfortable around coming back to an environment that they've they've never been into so it's a little bit of a different environment for us and maybe a more traditional business well it begs the question with starting virtually and because you as you know you're a digital business you could say why come into the office at all, but I assume the answer is going to be for the collaboration. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a believer in 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 that. You know, first of all, you know, one is building relationships, and and I think you can build relationships face to face. You know, much easier. You know, there's conversations that happen, and I know everybody says this around the water cooler, but it's true. I mean, you can go up to someone, you can have a conversation around, you know, hey, what do you think about this or that, or you know, let's brainstorm around this. And you know, I think that once you get those creative juices going and you build those relationships face to face, really interesting things happen, and it, they're more ad hoc. You know, in 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 the virtual world, at least my my experience in you know managing large businesses and. Uh, is that it's very, and, and during COVID especially, it was, it was, everything was very programmed, right? And scheduled. And so you have your next video and you have your next meeting and you have your next, and there's follow-up, but everything's scheduled. There's no, we don't have that, we didn't have that, that ad hoc discussion, at least maybe I, I didn't find that, that happy medium. So I, I think the face-to-face is really important. Do I think that it needs to be every day? Uh, do I think it needs to be, you know, consistent, no, I mean, at least not every day, but, but interaction, whether it be, you know, team meetings or brainstorming sessions or uh, whiteboarding, whatever it may be, I think is really important. And I think more importantly, it's, it's, uh, it, it's more importantly, it's important that you get to know the people around you that are you're working with and you're collaborating with and you're trusting and you're lifting a business on. So I, uh, I think it's, a, I think it's, it, it's, it's very important to have everybody together in, in, in the same area at times. Well, certainly given us a chance to reassess how we work and, and the, the different work structures. Now, Michael, congratulations. Huge milestone this week. You are now live with North Star Bets. Congrats. How do you feel? Maybe talk a little about what this week has meant to you. Oh, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster. Um, I, I feel, I feel relieved to be on a little relieved, although the, the hard work really starts now um, as everything comes together. It's been a, it's an interesting journey on, on this because we you know, literally, we started this from, from scratch uh, and then built the partnerships to help us take get us to this, this point. Um, and, you know, like any business and especially in the technology and, in industry, there's there's a there's a there's a lot of red flags and roadblocks. Um, you know, things don't don't happen or don't work as you expected to. And so, it's been a, a kind of a, a tough but rewarding few months of uh, you know of fixing and you know and then changing and then fixing again. Things tend to break and then you know at the end of this, once you've you know, you've ironed out all the, the, the issues, you actually have a product that is like, wow, that is incredible. And it's, it's, it's really high value. The experience is wonderful. So I feel good. Um, at least today, if you would have asked me this, you know, last weekend, we were doing all the user, user testing and we had bugs left, right, and center. And the teams were working overtime on Friday nights and sat all day Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday, they were up at four in the morning because we we're working with internet, some international companies. It was, it was a roller coaster, but, you know, flash forward a few days and um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's working and things are going well. And, and uh, you know, our creative is launching today and, and, uh, and, and people are, people are excited. So I'm excited. That's fantastic. Well, it's a big achievement for you and the team there. I hope you've been enjoy, able to enjoy your spring a little bit. What part of town do you live in? And to the extent you're comfortable, what, what's your family life today? Talk a little about your, what you're enjoying in Toronto. 
Oh, uh, well, I, we've, uh, I've, we live in the city, in the city of Toronto. We're in the Bathurst, Eglinton area, um, although that's not where I, I grew up. Uh, but uh, but we're, we're, we're there, and I have, uh, you know, uh, and my wife's a lawyer uh, in, and, uh, in immigration, and uh, I've got a daughter who is 22, uh, and she's in speech pathology, which is at McMaster in her master's program. She's home, and uh, my son is, uh, is is a hockey player. So he actually he graduated grade twelve. He took a gap year. He's playing junior hockey, uh, and uh, will most likely be going at back for another year uh, in, in terms of junior with the with with the intention of uh, playing hockey in college. Um, Excellent. Yeah, so everybody's doing well, and it's nice that the weather's starting to get a little nicer, and uh, everybody's home. So, you know, as, as kids get older and things happen, they kind of move away, and then they come back. And the nice thing is that they're back, and they're, they're here, at least for now, and, um, and things are good. So you still got two on the payroll, but uh, they, they come and go. Yeah, they are. I mean, essentially, my, you know, my daughter will hopefully graduate uh, a year this August, so <laughs> we're, we're always there, but you know, it's it, it, that, that'll be a milestone. Let me let's say that <laughs> it's, it's excellent. It's all good stuff. It's yeah, all good great, stuff. They're great kids. I'm really lucky. Fantastic. Well, Michael, let's please go back all the way and get your story. Where were you born, and and please describe your upbringing. Oh, where was I born? Uh, I was born in. It, well, hospital. I think I was born in Mount Sinai Hospital. Um, Mount Sinai. Yeah, I don't know if it was the New World. I, I can't recall. Uh, but um, I was at Mount Sinai, which is in Toronto, and uh, grew up in you know in kind of Henry Farms area, Don Mills and Shepherd area. Um, uh, a Jewish family, so I, uh, I, I wouldn't say you know. You know, it was an Orthodox family, but we were, you know, somewhat on the low end of of observant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, had a great upbringing. You know, went to went to school uh, around the area to some degree. Um, have a brother, a younger brother, and a younger sister, mm-hmm. and uh, and two wonderful parents that that are that are healthy and, and doing great. And my father was. Uh, was was a was was an engineer by by trade so he was a chemical engineer which is interesting uh he has many stories about being a chemical engineer and, but never really practiced as a chemical engineer uh went in kind of industry and then went into consulting management consulting yeah worked for one of the larger uh uh consulting organizations uh, management consulting and then went into business later and my mom was a was a teacher um and uh was it went to teacher's college, was a teacher, and then didn't teach for a number of years. She was bringing up the family and then went back to university at a, at, at a, I was, uh, I was already a, you know, a teenager at the time, went back to university, got her degree and then went back and, and taught a game. Um, and, and did so, yeah. So she, she kind of did the whole teacher family, then back to teaching again, but pretty normal family. I think. Yeah. Up. Yeah. yeah. And where'd you go to uh, junior high school? I went to I went to junior high at St Andrews, mm-hmm. uh, junior high school. Uh, I don't know if you know who that is. Uh, kind of a York Mills and uh, and uh, Bayview area, and then uh, yeah, and then high school. I went to A Y Jackson, which is uh, 
kind of Don Mills and Finch. I would be, of course, remiss if I didn't ask about what cheder you went to or and if you did any summer camp experience. Oh, yeah. Um, so, well, I, I did a, b- a bunch of things in, in the summer. So I, I went to summer camp. I actually went to uh, the, the camp called Camp Shalom early. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then they have this the kind of the second tier to that, which is called Solim. It's a kind of a Jewish camp. I, uh, I like Shalom. There were lots of activity. I was kind of a enjoyed sports and skiing and all that stuff, and did all the traditional camp. And then uh, this the camp Solim was like you're in, you're in tents, and it was a little more slugging, and I didn't love that. So. Uh, I went, then went to a to a, a, a different camp, New Moon Camp, New Moon, where you know you could do all the all the activities and skiing and you know baseball and all all the stuff that you want to do as you know as a, as, a, as maybe a junior athlete or yeah. someone who loves sports. And then uh, and then, but I ended up going back to as a counselor. I ended up going back to Camp Shalom and and uh, and teaching water skiing there. Uh, so kind of did the full circle. And, and can you still get up on the skis, Michael? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, my, my kids are, well, my son's much better than I am, but, um, oh yeah, no, I, I absolutely, we, we ski, we actually do more boarding now than we do, you know, slalom at the time it was slalom and tricks and you did all that stuff. And now it's more about boarding and it's less, uh, less severe in your body. Well, good for you. You got better knees than me. I, I, I fondly remember, it's funny you mentioned that, I fondly remember my opportunity to learn to water ski and to try it was at summer camp. So there's a real value to being able to, to do that. I thought you'd find what this interesting. Camp did you go to? What's that? What summer camp did you go to? I went to Northland, B'nai oh, okay. Breath, okay. and I did a few summers there. Uh, and both uh, my younger brother and younger sister had long and storied camp careers as well. So it's, it's always been kind of a part of the experience, but you always learn new things. I wanted yeah. to talk to you. I thought you'd find this interesting being a graduate of AY Jackson, that because of the internet, we have so much more information. I thought you'd find this interesting. I pulled this morning, this is the top five ranking of the most notable alumni from AY Jackson updated to the exact moment. So this is to today's kids. This is what's important. Mm-hmm. Number five, Alex Lifeson from Rush. Oh, right. He has a new band, a new album. I don't know if you knew he went there. And him and Getty Lee have a great park named after them in North York. Number four, I don't know if you remember, Gerald Eaton, a.k.a. Oh, yeah. Jarvis Church. Yeah, He went with, with Philosopher Kings, and he was just recently on Mike's own podcast, Toronto Mike'd. Oh. Number three, Daniel Negranu, Kid Poker, $42 million in earnings. That's a million. <laughs> and he's, he started his gambling career as a pool hustler in North York. Oh. The number two most notable on night, Mark Saltzman, the technology evangelist. Oh, right, right. Now, Mark won't be happy hearing about this development. As just last, uh, a few weeks ago, actually, he was ranked number one. But this is the way the world works. The internet changes. The current number one ranked most notable alumni of AY Jackson Secondary School. Yes, it is our guest today, Mr. Michael Moskovitz. Congratulations. Oh, you're, really? I didn't know that. You are. You're number one. You'll notice that both myself and my brother, Lawrence, and um, our baby sister, Paula, did not make the top five. But congratulations. <laughs> you're up there. What, <laughs> what do you... So uh, what Mark do you won't remember? be happy then. <laughs> well, he, this is, it's a very competitive world out there. It's a very competitive environment. <laughs> well, I didn't even know, so... 
<laughs> Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. What do you remember about growing up, Michael, in North York, your school? And I know you, you were a, an athlete as well. You played hockey. What do you remember about those days growing up and, and uh, your memories of North York? I, uh, I mean, I, I remember a lot. I mean, we, I, in, 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 ju- in junior high, you know, I, you know, at, uh, you know, I played, I played a ton of hockey, you know, played guitar was, you know, you know, tried, tried to play, you know, was, was in the band, the music band played, you know, played clarinet or bass clarinet, spent quite a bit of time playing music and playing hockey in my spare time and hanging with friends. Um, and then, you know, high, I, I, I played a lot of sports. I played a lot of hockey and, um, you know, and, and in high school, the same thing. And, and actually to this day, I, I still play with, with a bunch of the guys that, that we went to school with. Um, and, you know, and, and that kind of our, that's, that, that's, that's our outing, you know, cause you know, over the years when everybody's traveling and doing things or, you know, building families or businesses or whatever that you kind of, you, you lose touch with a lot, but you know, hockey and, and, and that sport has always brought, many of my high school friends together as uh, you know, on that, on that Tuesday or Thursday game that we play. Great. Well, it, it is a sport for a lifetime and it sounds like through your son, you're still connected to the hockey world. Oh yeah. Michael, let's go through, if we may, some of your career stops. They're all very well-known companies and brands. And it seems like you've always been kind of on the leading edge of what, what's going on with technology. So coming out of school and let's, let's just jump into that. Cause we skipped over that after Jackson, Where'd you go for university? I went to York University to do my undergrad. Um, and I, ironically enough, I, I wanted to I wanted to do something that was practical, actually. You know, the, kind of the notion of going to university for me was something, kind of a stop that you had to do. But I, I didn't feel that I really, I wanted to go to university just to, for the sake of going. So I, I actually thought that I was interested at the time in uh, urban and regional planning. And, uh, and, and went to York and kind of their, their planning environmental studies program um, and then graduated there. So that, that, was, that was my undergrad. And then it was, uh, there was a co-op program. And so, uh, you know, did some work for some consulting firms uh, during this, at the same time. So that was my undergrad, York University. And that co-op, that would have been relatively new. I think today co-op's very common and available. But in the time when you went, that would have been more unique, wouldn't it have been? Yeah, no, it was a very unique program. Um, you know, the, the only ones that were really offering that was at the time was, you know, Ryerson had a, a co- kind of starting in the co-op, but they weren't, Ryerson wasn't Ryerson back then, you know, it wasn't, it was, didn't have the same stature that it has today. Um, so it was a very unique program. And, you know, and frankly speaking, I mean, this is many years ago, but, you know, it, it, that co-op really helped me decide or define what I didn't want to do as well. Cause in life, it's just important to know what the things you don't want to do as, as you do. And, and um, those co-op programs really helped me because, you know, working for uh, you know, a bunch of uh, consulting and then, you know, I did some work for, for the city and it just, and it was all around planning and regulation. And, and it was, it was not something that I wanted to, that I wanted to continue with. And, you know, I ended, I ended up doing some interesting things to kind of help, help me find the path later, just, and, and part of it was working uh, with my dad, actually, uh, just doing a whole bunch of kind of computer desktop publishing in their advertising. Uh, but it was, it was very, very clear that I, that I, 
I, my desire wasn't to go into the kind of the planning world. And the only reason I knew that is because I had actually worked in co-op and knew that this wasn't for me. So it was a really important journey. Well, it's a really interesting point you make. You do have to find out not only what you want to do, but what you don't like. And, you know, traditionally, I've always thought summer is a great time. You want to cut grass or be on the, you know, working on a golf course. You don't want a heavy duty job. And these co-op opportunities, I think, are just great for giving people exposure and just as you experience, finding out what they don't like or what they do like. Yeah. After York, you moved on. You went to Dal, Dalhousie? Yeah, I, I went to Dal. I went to, uh, I, I did my MBA at, at out east, which is, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, I, I love the experience. I, I had worked, I mean, interestingly enough, I, I had been working throughout my undergrad as well. So uh, I had, I was kind of doing co-op, but then I was also, working with my father and helping him out with, you know, business that he was running, um, just doing a bunch of their marketing and automation because they were, this is, this is all new for them, um, doing their flyer work and all that. So I, I, you know, I, I saw the way businesses work and I, I, I very quickly said, I, you know, I want to go into business. I, I want to do my MBA. I, I had a, you know, my desire to continue on, on that road was, uh, was something I wanted to do. And so, uh, and, you know, then wrote my GMAT and, you know, applied and decided ultimately that I wanted to have a different experience and then go out east uh, to Dow. And it was a uh, it, it was a fantastic experience mm. and uh, great city. Uh, you know, it was big enough that you had all the opportunities there to learn and then, you know, do some consulting on the side and all your project work. Uh, but was small enough that it felt like a, you know, a, a, a real community. And uh, it was a great experience, but yeah, I did my MBA at Dell. And uh, as you say, for a, for a Toronto guy and a North York guy, this really got you out of your comfort zone, would you say, to try something totally different in a totally different part of the country? Yeah, I, I never lived a, a, away from home. So, and, you know, my parents always said, listen, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll support you. You got to pay for, you know, your, your tuition and we'll support you. But, you know, and, and this is the time because today I have a different perspective of things, but, you know, the, 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 the notion of spending to go outside of, of Toronto when you had, you know, three, three great universities or at least establishments here was, was not something that was really contemplated by, mm-hmm. by your parents. So they said, well, listen, if you do your graduate work, then we're, we're happy to help support you uh, in, in that. And so that was motivation to, to go do my graduate work as well. Yeah. But uh, no, it was, it was a great experience. It was the first time obviously living away from home and, you know, and, uh, and, and, look very favorable upon that and the school is fantastic so very lucky to have that opportunity that's great now how did you transition from finishing school you went to sony yeah i had um well interesting i worked for yeah i i i went to sony but i i I mean i worked with my with my father at rubbermaid for a a bunch of years so i you know in the marketing department during my intern uh, or my MBA was two years at the time. Now it's continuous, but you had summers off. So, so I had to find work because I had to pay for tuition to, to, to go back. Um, and that was the deal. So I, I, I oddly enough, I, I got a job at, at Apple computer, um, which was a fantastic experience when during my MBA year, it was kind of, it was recession. There were no jobs. And, they, I had done a ton of desktop publishing. This is when like Mac wasn't even Mac and, you know, computers were, were outrageously expensive. And I, you know, and I, and I basically put this together for the marketing organization at, 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 at Rubbermaid. So I had, 
I loved Macintosh. I love Apple computers. I said, I want to work for Apple. And this is, they weren't even connected at the time. And I, and I, so I applied everywhere. Everybody was like, you know, no jobs, no jobs. And summer I said, I, you know, I got to make a few bucks to get back to school. And then Apple called me in and they said, Hey, cause I, you know, we had this thing called a sabbatical and we got a whole bunch of folks going away for sabbatical for the, for, for the summer. Would you, uh, would you be willing to kind of help us and do our executive manager, executive briefing center and whatever else I'm like, Yes. They said, well, can you network a computer? And I said, of course I can. I had no clue how to do any of this. So like, yeah, the right like, answer. It's that. And they, can you do this? I said, absolutely. I can do that. So, so, so I, and I was doing my MBA. And, and so they said, well, wh- why would an MBA, you know, why would an MBA want a role like this? Cause you know, you have to, you have to serve coffee and, 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 you know, and cookies and, you know, and, and introduce people. And cause you'd have the big banks coming into the executive center. You'd have, to, anyway, it was, it was really interesting. And then what I, what I did was I, I sat, in this executive briefing center in the back. And I just listened to these folks talk all day about how they pitched their product and the technology. And I saw these high profile individuals coming in. And so what if I served them a little coffee and, you know, schmooze with them a little bit. It was a great learning experience. You soaked it all in. Yeah. And that's kind of what, and it was a great, it was a great experience. And then, you know, someone else went on, 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 on some other sabbatical. So I did their job business development for part of the summer, but that kind of helped me that. And then I had done some work there. I don't remember, but they had this product called this Newton, which was a handheld device, which yeah, kind, you of, gotta, kind of got in the mobile computing environment. Michael, you got to set the stage. This is Apple circa what, like what oh, phase were they in? This is, Oh, well they had, they, they were in, the finance, they had financial difficulty at the time. Uh, this is in between kind of the job, the jobs era. Um, and so, and, and it was, you know, the, the company itself was, this is when they were competing against Microsoft and they had this power PC and they wanted to be like Microsoft, but wanted to be different. So they're trying to find their identity and trying to move into corporate because they had a very poor corporate profile. They were just kind of individuals retail um, it was, so it was an interesting time. So they were really pushing the, the corporate side. Um, but, but this is, you know, Apple's a little bit in, in flux at that time. And it was, this, was App, this was Apple Canada. So, uh, but anyway, it was a great experience. And it caught me in the mobile computing environment. So they were the first ones to kind of get into mobile computing. They had this handheld device, right? Which is, today's are ubiquitous and yes. kind of got me into the mobile world. Um, you know, and I'd go down to this Comdex show in the summertime and I'd demo these, these, these this, this Newton that never worked actually at the time. And, and this, this handwriting recognition, it was, it was, it was, it was just, it was new, right? So new stuff doesn't always work. And, yeah. um, but anyway, that kind of got me into, that kind of got me into the mobile world. It was a really great experience. And then went back, finished my MBA and then started, started work. And when I went to Sony originally, they actually hired me to 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 uh, evaluate and launch a mobile product called uh, it was on a, a platform called Ma- I can't re- can't even, I can't imagine I remember this but it was it was called Magic Cap and it was a platform that was developed and then the, the product itself that was developed it was a, like a new mobile computing platform it actually never never got off the ground really it was you know it was it was kind of a it was a it was a smart at the time it was like, you know, the iPhone of today. Yeah. Uh, and, and Apple had eventually closed their, their, their mobile computing environment. And then magic cap was this new platform. 
uh, it never went. And then, you know, I kind of, then I became a product manager and did a whole bunch more traditional stuff within, within Sony, but yeah. yeah. And, and Sony, that was, that was where that was in Toronto or that was in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh Sony of Canada. That was a headquarters. Uh, they had, they had a, they had a business division that I worked in and I moved in the consumer division and was a traditional product manager there. And that's, you know, you learned, you learned a lot of skills at that point. Well, um, you were, uh, you were uh, ahead of your time with mobile computing. Yeah, no, it really was early days and kind of, and that lifted off to a whole bunch of other things later on in terms of mobile computing and wireless technologies, et cetera. But yeah, it was very early days. It clearly did lead you on. So the next stop, I believe, was 3Com? Yeah, so 3, so 3Com was a, uh, it, it was a, it was like a Cisco, right? They were like the, a network, if you remember back, they don't exist anymore, but they, they're, they were a very large a networking company. They 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 meant they they manufactured and sold you know telecommunication gear, uh, like Cisco did years ago, and they competed against them. They acquired a company called Palm Computing, which you know it was actually the Palm Pilot, and the Palm Pilot was this you know this this revolutionary mobile computing thing that nobody really understood. And they they acquired this company because they thought that. This is like the edge of the network at the time, right? This is, we make all this gear and then we have this distribution of this, of this, of, 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 of data. And then at the end of that, we have this mobile product. So the value chain is consistent. We do it all from the heavy gear in the backbone to this, to this portable device. Think about this. This is like many years ago, right? And so strategically kind of made sense, but the world was very fragmented back then. Um, and, and, you know, the cultures were totally different, but we, we were this startup. I think I was, I don't know, I was probably one of the top, the, the first, I don't know exactly, but I can't recall maybe the top, you know, first 50 employees within, wow. within New York, they were at Silicon Valley and they're like, so I, and so they required a three com. So I worked for three com running their Palm computing division and then Palm computing ultimately spun off into the own company, um, called Palm. And uh, it was a publicly traded company, and then uh, and then we went from there. So that was a three com piece. I, it was actually in the mobile computing environment, but it was just under a, a different parent. You Palm can three com. Uh, you can verify, Michael. An interesting trivia, true or not? The Palm Pilot was the product, but it got in trouble with the Pilot Pen Company. That's right. And Palm had to drop the Pilot name to simply Palm PDAs yeah. going forward. Is that something that happened? Or was that during your? Were you there for that time? Yeah, no, I was there the whole time. No, that was, uh, that, that, that's exactly what happened. Um, no, it wasn't Palm PDA's move. Did you say moving forward? It was just Palm, P-A-L-M. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, no, that's exactly what happened. And obviously the bigger you, you know, early on, it didn't, no one really cared because you're a small little company. But as yeah. the company grew and expanded, um, it, beca- it became, a, it became tenuous, but but it, but it, it ended, that ended up working working out, and then we spun out, and we were a separate organization, and, and building building something separate and, and interesting. And then I I mean I spent I spent ten years at, at Palm and very you know build, kind of building and helping them build the Canadian business, which grew significantly. 
um, and then ultimately went and managed and uh, built up their South American business as well. Uh, it had already been established, but we had a we had infrastructure in Brazil, and then uh, throughout Latin America, we were setting up the, the regions, whether it be you know Mexico, we had a pretty big establishment in Colombia, and then Argentina and Brazil and and, and Chile, and so started to build out that. And uh, you know, interestingly enough, that that business became you know almost bigger than the entire European business. So it was, it was, it was, it was incredible. And at the time, you know, not a lot of people, a lot of people wanted, to, wanted to travel down to South America. Uh, we, had, we had a great team down there. We were building a great team, local teams, uh, but nobody, you know, most of the headquarter guys, you know, the, the leadership didn't want to go down to South America. They never actually made a trip down there. Hmm. They, they would set, you know, they sent the Canadian down there to go, <laughs> to go to do the heavy lifting and manage it. And we were, you know, young and, and, you know, entrepreneurial and we went to build that. So that was an interesting experience around, around Palm Computing. How'd you love going down there? Did you have to pick up your language skills and did you enjoy the experience? That would, would have been a very big culture shock. It, it was I mean, there are so many shocks around being being in South America. First of all, the notion that, you know, everything is the same down there is completely wrong, right? Every country, you know, every, uh, the cultures are all, are all different, even though it's, it's one language with the exception of Brazil, um, which is Portuguese. Um, and, you know, just the way of doing business is, is just completely different. I mean, the one thing that, you know, I learned very, very early is that there's no way that I can do this myself. Like the, 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 the notion of managing this from a distance and, you know, being, being involved with your customer relationships just wasn't going to work. What was essential is hiring uh, and establishing a very strong base of, uh, of business and infrastructure locally. Uh, so locals could run, empowering them, giving them the structure and the discipline that they need uh, and also the flexibility to, uh, to be creative and unique in their own marketplace and build the brand for that particular market. I think that was ultimately the success of, of, of the region. Uh, you know, it wasn't done, you know, as, as though a Canadian or American or, you know, some other nationality would, would, would want. It was, it was built around the local talent that was there. Um, so I think that was, that was our that was part of the success. And then we had to, uh, I mean, the only other thing was manufacturing and building. And so I don't know if you, you know, the, the, the market in Brazil is quite different because you, you've got to manufacture because of the, the, the import duties and the taxation there. It's a market that you can't import and be competitive. You actually mm. have to manufacture locally. And the, so we kind of took the blueprints from, you know, California headquarters and we said, okay, well, you know, let's find a manufacturer that can do this for us. And, uh, we ended up outsourcing the manufacturing and building in Brazil uh, through a Canadian company, Celestica, uh, mm-hmm. that, that actually did the, the manufacturing for us down locally for the Brazilian market. Uh, so it wasn't just sales and distribution and all that other stuff, but we actually manufactured in Brazil. Uh, it was only for Brazil because the rest of the country didn't have that issue. But anyway, just an interesting fun fact. And where would, other than Brazil, where would the manufacturing have been done for that South American market? It was done well. It was it was it was done through uh, third parties out of Taiwan and China, and and it was and it was important like so many so many today. Uh, so that was the only manufacturing base that was outside of Brazil, outside of uh, our our Asian footprint that we have. Palm is very fondly remembered. I wonder if you talk about two. One enduring feature to talk about is the hot sink cradle. 
Right. And the, and the second was the kind of the, the morphing of the Palm into the Palm Trio, which, yeah. which was, I believe, the most successful smartphone at the time. You want to talk about those two kind of features? Or yeah, things? that's that's really so. I mean, HotSync was was the was the thing. This is before wireless technology. Right. So you kind of put your your mobile device into a cradle and you kind of press the button and the whole thing just synchronizes ubiquitously with your computer. Right. I mean, and it. It was wild and it really worked. Your contacts, your calendar, all that stuff, right? This is early on and, and it just worked. Um, and this is before rechargeable batteries and all that stuff. So you'd have to change your batteries on occasion. And so the hot sink was like the, the, the secret sauce, right? Everybody had these personal organizers, you know, and, and, and they had these mobile devices, but none of them connected, synchronized with your PC. So you have one stream of data. So that was absolutely very unique um, and it was really simple right you just load the software you press the hot sync and boom you're there this is nothing was simple back then so that was that was a game changer uh, and it was all software driven our hardware wasn't actually that great to be perfectly honest at the time it got better late later but out of the gate it was not good um, but the but the software was was fantastic and then to answer your question around the trio you know that's an interesting story as it relates to kind of the transition or change of company, the original founders and, and uh, were, were actually Palm employees, 3Com acquired them, or they were actually U.S. Robotics, they were called, and then 3Com bought them, they changed their name, but, you know, the, 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 the founders, you know, it, it just, it, 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 big company, small company, they said, you know, ultimately we want to do our own thing again. They moved off and they, they, they created a new company called Handspring. I don't know if you remember Handspring. It was almost like a carbon copy of the product. Okay. But they, their differentiation was they're going to they're gonna license the Palm platform. They're going to build their own product, which is now wireless, and they're going to call it the Trio. And so, and Palm, because we were so stuck in some the traditional way, in some of the old platform products was built with, with synchronization, not wireless, you couldn't actually make wireless product with the technology you had. So we, so the company ended up buying Handspring and then integrating their product back into Palm. And that was the trio. So hmm. they started the company, left the company to start something else, and then sold it back to the original company to have this, this new unique product. That's where it came from. It was quite, quite a story, interesting story. Well, you continue in your story. You always seem to be in the right place at the right time for what's hot. I mean, people under whatever age listening to this now can't even believe what you're talking about, that you're even, you know, to sink in a cradle and you had to have a replace the battery. They don't believe this actually happened. But your your next move, if I'm correct, is to the latest versioning industry, satellite radio. Is this when yeah. you made your move over to XM Canada? Yeah, I... Um... You know, I, like I said, I spent I spent a good ten years at Palm and did international and and uh, you know had an opportunity uh, un, under uh, the kind of the the the, the chairman uh, John Bitov um, to, uh, to to they they had already launched the pr the product uh, or at least launched the service. You know, things weren't going as well to to, to come in and take it to the next level. Um, and you got to remember satellite radio at the time, like this was, this start was probably what, 15 years ago or so. 
Um, I mean, what was satellite radio at the time? You know, nobody knew what satellite radio was, right? It was like, you get in your car, oh, you have to put a, you know, a radio in your car and then you have to connect it. You have to pay for it. You're paying for a service. I get radio free. Oh, but it's not commercial. It, it was it was mind blowing because now it's again ubiquitous. Everybody's got it. You press yeah. the button and it just works. Then it was like, what is this thing? And you want me to pay for something that can get free? It was a very different, unique environment, um, and it was very. It, it was just it was a new service, uh, and it and it took time. But it was a it was a great opportunity. It was a, we were a public company, you know. Learned a whole bunch, you know. Learned about the public markets. It was a public market CEO, um, and um, and it was in a, in a growing and changing business. Uh, and you know, it wasn't until that business started to move into the automotive. So I don't know if your if your listeners are interested in this, but you know, you probably remember back in the day the way you got satellite radio into your car was you had to actually purchase a radio from let's say Best Buy or Future Shop at the time. Okay. Open the box and you've got to take this radio, put, you know, put it on a, you know, on a, whatever, a, a holder and then, and then install it in your car and then wire this thing through the dashboard and the window and put your radio on the top of your car. I mean, you needed to be an engineer to put this thing together. And frankly speaking, half of the time it never worked and it looked like garbage at the yeah. end of the day. But there was the only way to really get to market quickly with the service. You had this massive infrastructure of studios and talent and big deals we've done. But the distribution of this was very difficult because it was kludgy. It's like no different than new technology, right? It's like, okay, well, I have this great service, but how do I actually get the customer to use it? So, you know, struggled with that for a little bit, but that was the infancy. Um, and then the interesting thing is, you know, found a way to the real secret to this was obviously having, you know, high value content and giving, you know, giving everybody kind of an opportunity to test the product for whatever two and three months. We knew that it was sticky. It was fantastic, but the, the installation was terrible. So, you know, we, we basically focus all of our efforts on automotive, right? Going to the automotive partners and getting the chipset installed into the radio, into the product itself. So when you pick up your car and you turn it on, the salesperson says, okay, this is how your radio work and press here for XM. And then that XM button launches you into this whole new experience, but it's all integrated. Mm-hmm. And the integrated experience was fabulous. The problem is, is that the, the car manufacturers were on, you know, three and four year product cycles. Yep. It's a little bit different today, but basically it was three years, at least three years. So for them to design the head unit and the engineer, do all the engineering, everything, you almost had to wait three, you had to wait basically three years to get into the car. And then it was a cost for that in the automotive were very difficult to deal with at the time because it was new. It hadn't, you know, it was, it, it was a chicken and egg. It's like, well, why would I put the satellite radio in the car when nobody wants it? Well, how do you know that nobody wants it? Well, because nobody has it in their car. So, so then you ended up having to pay them a whole bunch of money to say, get into their car. And then they, you know, some of the automotive took, took equity in the company and it was a whole a deal structure, but really focused on, on, on the automotive partners. And that's really what accelerated that business was focusing on automotive, getting in the cars and giving consumers an opportunity to test that product. 
and building the brand around that. But until that happened, it was kind of a slow start because it was very kludgy. Yeah. And then today it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's ubiquitous and it's one company and, and it's a, it's, it was, it's a very interesting new technology story that, um, that, that, that really worked. And, and you can see that, but it was a lot different when we, we, we started this, that's for sure. Sure. And would you say, Michael, on the content side, how significant when they look back and write the history of satellite radio was Howard Stern's move uh, to satellite it, radio? It was, I mean, I sat on the other side of the fence on that, right? So, because the companies were separate, it, it was XM and Sirius and um, it was, it was, night and day i'll just i'll tell you like we we had we had positioned ourselves as kind of the sports because sports was was split up different we had the nhl we had mlb they had nba um so it was a little different but the real the 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 card was like howard stern brought a lot of credibility right at the gate and subscribers to that platform i mean the truth is that you know serious was in big trouble before that happened, right? Because it was just how much longer can you can you last? And then Howard came along, they signed the deal, and reality is is that he brought a lot of subscribers with him, and and you know has prospered since then, done incredibly well, and it was you know a really good move for for them on that. But really, uh, it was it was definitely a game changer for sure. Yeah. Well, when that when that original deal was made, I don't know how many people would have bet that. That he would have been paid and he'd still be there. And here we are today. Today and loves the platform and doing really well and, uh, you know, re-upped. And yeah, it was a, it, it was, it was a very, very good move. Um, you know, no matter what, what, regardless of, of who was coming into the fold, not because there's lots of content on both part uh, on both platforms and very high value. Uh, that was, that was, that was very much a, a market mover for sure. I want to move forward, Michael, to today or closer to today. You had a, a time at Panasonic, but in October 2021, you became CEO and a founding partner of North Star Gaming. And this was a dive into Canada's fresh and growing internet gaming or iGaming sec- sector. How did this all come together, North Star Gaming? Oh, this is, um, it, it came together quite quickly, actually. I, I, I spent, um, as you mentioned, you know, I spent many years at Panasonic doing very many different things. Uh, one, running a Canadian organization, then moved to the U.S. and ultimately became the chairman and CEO of, uh, of Panasonic North America. Um, and it was, you know, it's a it was a, it's a big company and many different divisions. And you know, I was on the I was on the road a, a lot, and um, and it was uh, it, it was a great experience. And uh, and you know, hopefully, and changed a lot of their businesses for the better. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, really wanted to get back into, you know, doing something back locally, back, back home. And, and, um, you know, and then, uh, John, John, John Vitov's brother, Jordan, uh, and another gentleman, uh, Paul Rivette, they had, they had acquired Torstar, um, and, you know, there was, there was discussion around, uh, setting up a, a sports betting business around, you know, this with leveraging this, this media partner, Torstar, which, which, which is, you know, I think is, is the secret sauce. The, uh, I think content's going to be a, a huge differentiator and it, and, you know, in the, and it's a very competitive environment. Um, but I felt that that was, that was a way to tr- really 
differentiate us. Um, and then uh, and work with the guys in terms of you know coming on board and 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 building this business to, to, together and, uh, and that's where we are. So it was really around you know coming home, doing something more entrepreneurial, early stage. Uh, you know, obviously all the challenges and tribulations around that. But every time you know I look when I look back at my career and the and the the, the where I had most fun. And excitement was always starting starting something or being mm-hmm. at the cutting edge, you know, and whether it be in mobile computing or in satellite radio, whatever it may be, even the businesses of Panasonic, the kind of the new businesses that we created, it was always where I found joy and, and happiness and, and inspiration. And so, you know, this is this is just kind of that just extends from 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 my feeling. Um, and it's been a wild ride. I mean, I think we kind of started off in, in, in that environment. Like it's been really exciting, challenging, starting something from scratch, to be perfectly honest, and, and, and you know, building the partner network, hiring when you have no brand, you know, you're, you're building it upon your, your own brand, right? You're building, you know, you're trying to attract people based on you and what you've done and your credibility. And obviously raising money to do that and helping to fuel the business and building your advertising, your logo. It's like everything was, was from, from scratch. It's, it's really interesting. And I was telling the team this the other day, it's not, it's not like we're picking up a brand from, from the U S or from other jurisdictions saying, let's plant this here in Ontario and replicate and try to be somewhat local. It's all from scratch. So there's nothing that there's no rule book or, you know, or, 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 or playbook that allows you to say, here's the things you need to do. Uh, and we've hired amazing people, um, some from the industry, some from out, outside the industry, right? Which is a really great combination because you get this, 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 the inspiration from outside and inside, so because it's a, it's, it's a business that, that, that has legs, it's got, you know, it's, it's been around for some time, even though it's new for Ontario, you want that experience, but you also want that thought leadership coming from those that are outside of that to, to, to bring together a holistic view of what we want this business to look like and what we want the industry to look like. Um, but no, it's been, a, it's been a heavy lift, but an exciting one. So really, really happy. And, and it's, it's like on a rocket ship too, like this, you know, this, you, you can just see by, you know, the advertising that you've seen, the money that's been poured into this market. I mean, there's a billion dollars or I, I, we don't know exactly, but the gray market has been existing here for, for many, many years, right? If you're a sports better, you've been probably playing on something for many years. Um, this is different because it's completely regulated, right? Mm-hmm. We, you know, applied for the license. We had to get it. We had, we, which was a very long process. We had to build this from scratch. And then we're now in a regulated environment whereby, you know, players are protected, protected, and you know, there's there's rules around it. It's not like the wild west of of gray market where you open it up and hope people come, and then there's no rules around it. So I think it's a very it's a very good time for Ontario. It's a very good time for for iGaming in in, in the province, and hopefully this spreads to other provinces very shortly as they see the success here. Well, I th- I think it's super interesting, and like you talk about, there's just changes with the legalization of single game sports betting and in particular the biggest market in Canada, Ontario. Now, Michael, you talk about North star bets, your platform as being a convergence leader in the intersection of sports media Mm -hmm. and sports wagering. What do you mean by that? And maybe talk a little more about, as you say, content will be the differentiator. Well, I think that, 
you know exactly that. I mean, we've got you know we've got a a a very a, a commercial agreement, an omnichannel advertising agreement with with Torstar. Um, you know, so that provides the Toronto Star uh, with access to and their re- and their readership to sports betting content, right? So. And, you know, I, I would encourage you, you know, go, go to it, like go into the sports section or go to the top nav and check it out because the sports betting content, it talks about the sport itself and then educates you around, you know, gives you insights and gives you data points and helps you along the way. Because, you know, sports betting is complicated, right? Lots of data points, lingo, uh, you know, today there's a small echelon of players out there that understand because they've been doing this for a long time. But think about trying to get this into a traditional sports fan. You know, you have to educate them. You have to develop content. And so one of the uniquenesses of, of our business is we we're, we built a content team uh, that, that helps us engage and reach our target audience, right? And so they're writing for this audience to bring them along. And listen, if they happen to kind of get up, you know, to, to press the button and go for a, you know, bet on the money line or, the, or, or a parlay, that's great, but we're helping them along the way. And so I, I think that the, the and this, and there's lots of sports books out there. There's lots of casinos out there. There's no question. This is not something that's, that's new, but the intersection of content creation uh, and helping the audience along the way and, and targeting them and talking to them in the terms that we think and educating them around sports betting and the terms and giving them that analysis and those data points that educate them uh, in, in a, in a, in a, with, with high value content, I think is very unique and different. And it's all in one experience. Like if you go to our site, it's all in one. So today in many, you gotta, you've got to go to multiple sites to get your insight. And then you come back to your sports book. We've integrated that whole experience right into one platform. Well, and it certainly ties in with your choice of ambassadors. You want to talk a little about uh, Rod Black and Chris Johnston, who you're making a good use of leveraging their convergence of education and content. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got a bunch of really awesome uh, uh, content providers like writers here. So we've got we've got a really a fabulous team. Uh, Mike Cormack kind of heads that, and we've got a, we've got a. There are actually a bunch of them are in the office today. They, they're they're just they're in just you can go to the Toronto Star, you can go to our platform and check them out. I think what we wanted to do is we also wanted to get some kind of some heavy hitters in there as well to be, to provide some some credibility. And so you know Chris Johnson, which is you know. Uh, you know, it just it kind of headlines all of our NHL coverage and, you know, the Leafs and, uh, and, and it's just, just an incredible, just has so many followers and so high profile, really bringing lots of credibility to our platform. And we're giving him an opportunity to, to distribute his content in the Toronto Star and then obviously now our platform. Um, and, you know, and Rod Black is just a, a legendary broadcaster and doing a lot of our, you know, we've integrated him with, uh, with a partner of, all, of ours called Parlay Media Group. And, you know, the Parlay is doing a, a bunch of our content engagements, our videos, our, you know, social content. And, you know, we're, we're integrating Rod right into that environment um, and modernizing his, his perspective as well. So I think ultimately all of this is going to really, it's going to attract, it's going to retain, retain sports betters. Um, and I think most importantly, it's going gonna, it's gonna to entertain fans. Like that's what we're all about. We're, we're kind of in the entertainment business at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And if this entertains them, 
um, and they happen to wager, that's a great thing. But let's entertain them first and give them a great experience. It's all about engagement. All about engagement. And, Michael, uh, what is the status of esports? There's a uh, $500 million, 7,000 seat esports venue coming to the CNE grounds in 2025. Is this an area that you foresee big opportunities for wagering? I, you can wager today, you know, on our side, we have esports, so you can actually wager on it. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be significant. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of companies, uh, Canadian companies, uh, Toronto based companies that are, that are involved in that today. Um, as, as you had mentioned, I think that it's, it's going to come, I, I would say it's, it's not, it's high profile, but it's not where a lot of wagering is done today. Um, it's also not necessarily the target market as of today, but it's going to grow. And if you want to bet on esports, you have every you can you can do that today in our on our platform. Um, but I think it's going to grow. But it's still in the it still needs some maturing for sure. Great. Well, listen, Michael. As we wrap up, you've been generous with your time because we are Toronto legends. We do need to ask maybe some places that you like to go to eat in Toronto or things you like to do. And maybe you have a hidden gem or two for the listeners. Oh my, that's a trick question. Um, well, around the area. So there's an Italian place called seven numbers, which is, which is great. Kind of a, it's a little Italian place on, on Eglinton um, where the kind of the owner, you know, cooks, mama cooks, cooks the great dishes. It's, yeah. you know, if you're in the, if you're in the area, um, uh, you know, we, I, we, I was living in, we were, yeah, living downtown for a little bit. Um, and Trattoria Nervosa in Yorkville is another, another great little spot that we, that we enjoyed. Um, uh, you know, Hemingway's in Yorkville. Like if you ever want to go to a sports bar, I don't know, love that. Um, I know the guys, have gone to you know, the hockey guys over the years have gone to the house of Chan for, yeah. for steaks and all that. I, I don't know. I'm kind of, um, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, so there's just some of them. I, we found a, like a takeout place called, uh, Indian, uh, Indian food on Avenue called copper chimney. Um, during the pandemic ordered a lot of that for takeout. That's- one good thing of the pandemic was it forced us to re- re- reassess where we wanted to eat and how we wanted to eat, and people found new places. You have anything for us? I'd like I got a lot of good ones uh, okay. because I'm up in Richmond Hill now, a little north of you. Um, there's, a, uh, I just find the innovation all seems to be happening here. So, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bacon and eggs, greasy spoon kind of guy. So, when you do come up, I'm going to take you to Three Coins, which has been around for a hundred years, but it's it's the, the number one place in okay. Richmond Hill to get your bacon and eggs. Love Michael, it. what are your plans for the remainder of 2022 and beyond? You're obviously, as you say, a lot of heavy lifting's been done, but you got a lot more coming. You're right, as you say, on the roller coaster. What what's uh, on your plate, big time, for the next little while? Uh, I mean, we, we it's pretty clear now that we've li- now we've lifted this. It's about you know it's about operationalizing this and 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 driving success of our platform. Um, you know, there's a lot of work that we have to do in terms of just engaging uh, players and and building this. So, the next stage of this uh, is 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 developing is developing the business. Um, 
and we've already launched it, but now we actually have to, we've got to run it. We've got to build it. And so it's a, it's a new phase of, for us. And, and, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, listen, a public offering is, is something that we have in our, in our sites as well. So that, that's, uh, you know, in terms of us raising the capital that we need to ultimately take this to the next level is, uh, is an interesting opportunity that we're, that we'll also pursue in parallel. Well, definitely exciting times. You got a lot going on, but it's always exciting. Where can we best follow both you and North Star Gaming to keep up to date? Well, I mean, you can go to you can go to the northstarbets.ca. Uh, uh, you can you know you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, we've got our Twitter accounts. You can you can follow me or you can follow the company, but kind of some degree, it's one and the same these days. <laughs> That's great. That's really great. You become one. Michael, it was great having you. And to the listeners, I would like to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast. And on behalf of Michael Moskowitz, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. show called The Boiling Point with my co-host Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty 
from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. <laughs>